You're listening to And hey everyone, you're listening to the Good Pop Culture Club. This is episode 11. My name is Mervyn Yue and joining me today to talk about all the good pop that gets us through our days are self-proclaimed professional Asian-American Just Jew. Ah, uh, yes. But you know what? I'm just going to call myself a self-proclaimed I don't know shit person. So <laughs> that's my new title, Marvin. All right. Noted. And also culture editor Han Wen. Hey, Han. Hi. Busy editing that culture. <laughs> How is everyone doing? It's um, we're into week. Is it week two of June already? Week three. Ooh, I guess we're yes, on the like three side. Yeah, three closer to three than two. Yes. Yeah. Um, someone online did say. I think someone tweeted like on June fifteenth. We're like, it's only been. It's only we're at the halfway point for twenty twenty, and I was just like, holy shit! I hate it here. Ah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, it, it's it's been a crazy first half of 2020, and I'm quite certain it will get well, crazier. It is an election year, and we seem to forget about that sometimes because there's so much other shit going on. I have not forgotten it. Oh <laughs> it's election God. year. Um, fire season just started in Southern California. Holy, yeah. Hurricane season has... Mm-hmm. Uh, is coming Has down been, the yeah. road for uh, you know in the in, our, in the southeast. The locusts the are coming coast. in the east coast. The locusts came out like they come out every like twenty seven years or something, and they they've decided to come out. Um. So yeah, it's on the bright side. Um, the Supreme Court upheld DACA today, so that's a win. That's a notch in the win column. That's a win. Um, and they vote. They they ju- ruled that you cannot fire someone from due to their sexuality. Which I was like, wow, I can't believe we have to go all the way to the Supreme Court to decide that one. That seemed like a no brainer. Um, mm. but they did rule against qualified immunity, I believe. Uh, which is disappointing, but well, you, you can't know. win all the time. Yes, yeah, still got a lot more work to do. Yeah, what's wild is that DACA decision was a split decision, and like sometimes you just wonder who. I mean, obviously you know who's dissenting, but like, why do you want your name on the history book saying you're against this? You know, maybe, but 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 the DACA is love. I mean, thank God, and that is a. That is a really good news. Um, and, you know, DACA is something that affects a lot of different communities, including ours. So I'm very glad, at least for now, um, they, it, it's yeah. safe. Well, some good news in these um, really, really wild times. It's still ongoing. It, it feels like it's things have slowed down on, on social media. But oh, I don't know what social happening. media you're going on. It has not slowed down. <laughs> no. Maybe I, I I've mean, been doom scrolling less, um, and that's well, a, that's a term I've learned over these past two, few weeks. It's doom scrolling because I was definitely doing that. Yeah, it, I, it's that concept of like, no protests are still going on. It's just they're not quite as bloody anymore, and so I think people aren't as heightened in their awareness of it. Um, but yeah, my social media is still very ugly. <laughs> well, okay, yeah, I take that back because people are still dying out there at an alarming rate. Yeah, I uh, mean, there, there's, there's been, been lynching five lynchings at my last count. Um, you know, one very cl- some very close to us with Robert Fuller in mm-hmm. Palmdale, 
and um in Victorville and then apparently the sheriff's office murdered his half brother which yeah. is like that's that's not a coincidence right like i yeah. I, I don't want to be sound like a conspiracy theorist but at this point like that's not a coincidence I mean, that, and um, not, yeah sorry black people don't hang themselves in public you know that's too potent of a, a symbol like but also like th- there have been there's one there was one in Houston too so it's kind of like my hometown where and it's just like everywhere I, I just I'm at a loss yeah uh, yeah and the the cops who killed Brianna Taylor in Louisville have not been arrested they cannot yet, make a decision this at this day. time oh my god anyway. no so right. it's so still pretty bad i retract my really bad previous out there. statement um well, things are so crappy it's, yeah it's not at a 10 maybe it's at a nine so it's just yeah it's, i don't know it does feel like in the past week there's been a lot more stories of um like a sort of reckoning happening in media especially with companies and outlets with a history of treating they're black and brown employees um, like crap. And it's been interesting to see like all this stuff that everyone kind of knew was going on behind the scenes come to light and people being in support of like dragging the crap out of all these outlets who've, who've had a history of being, mm. uh, if not ignorant, then downright shitty. It's, it, it's, it's, yeah, it's a weird sort of climate now where, there has been a lot of support for Black Lives Matter and things like that. And some people are taking it as virtue signaling because they have evidence to the contrary from past experience. So right. there's been a lot of calling out. Um, yeah, it feels like yeah. it's more signs that whatever comes out after this, we're going to be we're not going back to the status. We're not going back to the status quo. Like, the, Yeah, I, I am. I, I, I still find that the word hope is pretty strong for me like i don't know if i hope yet but i am cautiously like wanting to hope that people are receiving some sort of reckoning whether or not this will die down because like let's look at me too like there was a lot of reckoning from that and but then it kind of died down and then it turned out certain people were working in their best interests and so there was like questioning like if people were like true or whatever and so but I do have to say, I think there's still less tolerance for sexual harassment and abuse and things like that, even today. And so that is still my hope for what's going on right now, that, yes, there's a, a, a fierce reckoning right now, but and, and it might die down later. But I do think that people are now aware enough of it that they cannot ignore it. Yeah. I mean, it's the history yeah. of like representative politics, right? Like. For people who can't do the right thing because it's the right thing, you have to shame them into it. And it's like the sad state of like how human nature yeah. works. But that's I mean, it's yeah. twofold mm-hmm. until we really get to a point where we can dismantle and reimagine some of these systems, um, you know, building it in a, a truly more equitable way. Like until we get to that point, like right now we have to concentrate on what we can do within the existing systems. And right now a lot of that is top down, right? It's, um, you know, we work in a lot of entertainment media fields, right? It's, it's an extremely top down model of work. Um, so we need the people in power to really champion that and to actually act upon these things. Um, you know, put your money where your mouth is. And if they don't do that, then we, I think as, consumers of certain products have to like say that's not okay we're not gonna 
spend money on it and that's the hardest that's part that's how we i mean yeah it's you know? it's easy to be an activist or it's easy to have a stand when it doesn't affect you it's a little harder when it inconveniences your life or makes your life a little harder i mean there's been a lot of um like there's a lot on- online and on social media there's a lot of people compiling lists of like brands that use prison labor which you know as we've all kind of hopefully learned over the last few weeks that that's just another version of enslavement and um, if you have no idea what we're talking about watch 13th watch the 13th <laughs> as a start i mean i get it not everyone likes to read but <laughs> you know watch the documentary it's like two hours of your life it's gonna be fine like you're gonna survive that um but it, it's and it's you know it's kind of all encompassing it's like these are very well-known brands that we all definitely 100 percent, 100 percent of us have in our house right now you know everything mm-hmm. from band-aid to starbucks to advil and tylenol so you know i think when you when you take it all at once it's a little um at least in, as it pertains to like divestment from these companies it, it can be a little like awesome in the truest sense of definition of the word but mm. It's kind of like dieting, right? Like if you can't do it all at once, you can't go cold turkey, like start phasing it out, start phasing it out. And then I'm, I'm also a big proponent on generics. So if we're talking about drugs and then also of the local like mom and pop version of things. So if you find mm. Starbucks to be problematic, find a, a local place because there are some really damn good you know, coffee and other things yeah. you can make, you know. So it's, I actually was kind of like, when people were like upset at Starbucks for like not letting their employees um, wear Black Lives Matter stuff, which I was like, yeah, it's fucked up because you're letting them wear pride stuff. Like there's obviously mm-hmm. some kind of weird, I mean, regardless there's of how they get to decision. There's, there's definitely some racism <laughs> at work. Um, but I mean, also like, I, I also think that they, as fucked up as it was, there could have there is some truth in their reasoning like if someone's gonna attack you for wearing that because as we've seen online people have been like harassing people with black lives matter signs even in people places like brooklyn you know like that's something you're imposing on your workers i'm wondering how many of those workers are black or you know people of color who have to deal with that verbal harassment on the ground but this is kind of the thinking that I I have an issue with. Was it AMC uh, Theaters? Was it that just announced? Oh my god! That they are not going to require masks because they don't want to get make Quo- it unquote political. Yeah, and so I feel like sort of like with the Black Lives Matter thing that yes, it is political, and yet at the same time, how people act is on them. It's not Starbucks saying that they're political or condoning the violence against people or, or anything like that. So it's like, you know what, LGBT stuff, wearing pride stuff, that's political. So yes. like it is really a a weird line to draw still. Like I mean at the end of the mm. day with Starbucks, like we should be more mad that they're freaking using slave labor. <laughs> right. I mean all of it anyway. Yeah. They want to protect it, I guess. I don't know. Oh, but I mean, AMC's. Well, I'm like, I am not going to the movies until there's a vaccine. So yeah, there's yeah. there's a drive and in, and maybe movies. I'll do that. Yeah, I, I know we I really we lo- I, we go see movies a lot. <laughs> the last movie I ever saw was Birds of Prey, and I went to watch it with Jess. That was your last film. Yeah. Oh, that I was think, a good time, though. <laughs> I think mine was either Birds of Prey. Oh, I think so because before that it was uh, Emma. 
I mean, that was literally the last weekend yeah. before like the shutdown started happening. Yeah. So long ago. Back in the days of March 2020. <laughs> we were so young then. All right. Yeah. Well, I'm going to leave with the hope that um, the world that we get after the revolution is over, after COVID is um, vanquished, will be a better and more equitable world for everyone. Cautiously optimistic, maybe. Yeah. Because Cautiously the, optimistic. Because the, the alternative is depressing. I mean, all of this is, in a way, like all of this is actually hopeful, right? Because all of this violence and racism and like terrorism was happening anyways. It's just nobody was talking yeah, about it, aware it. of it. Yeah. Now we're just bringing things that were already existing into light. And I'm like, sorry, you found out, you know, you knew your, you knew your like shitty uncle was racist. Now you just can't pretend like you don't know anymore. I think that's <laughs> yeah. the only difference. And okay. I think that's better for, right? Yeah. That's a, a lot, in the yeah. right direction. The body has been like suffering from gangrene and we're just cutting off the limbs. So, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is a pop culture podcast. We're here to talk about the good <laughs> pop that's getting us through these um, times and giving us hope, hopefully. Um, for this episode, we're going to be talking all about our experiences with cop shows. Um, uh, but before we get to that, let's find out what's been getting us through our week. Uh, Jess, what's popping? Um, I have not had too much time, been very busy with work, but the one show I was able to catch is, uh, Taste the Nation with Padma Lakshmi. Ooh. And I know we have, uh, plans to kind of delve into that further, so I won't say much more, but it's great. An extremely interesting perspective of a food show. Um, you know, she's, there were some pretty good articles out, but basically as a woman, as a woman of color, as an immigrant, um, she has a very different perspective. And as, as let's be honest, like a very beautiful woman, she definitely kind of addresses all of that. And it gives a much different perspective to these food travel culture shows that we've seen um, from other kind of big chef food industry stars. Um, and I really enjoyed the episodes I've watched. They've made the uh, Golagichi episode free for Juneteenth on YouTube, typically, or and all the episodes are now available on Hulu. Cool. Yeah. So and then I, otherwise, more. Oh, sorry. sorry. Oh, no. I was say, um, yeah, I haven't um, learned. All I know about the show is that it's a Padma food travel log show. Um, is there a specific like uh, focus or like what's the pitch on the show? So it's called Taste the Nation. It is in the you know the United States. She's not going international, um, and she's just basically trying to redefine what American food is and giving mm. us the social, political, historical context of some of our favorite foods, which is not, you know, it's not hamburgers and pizza. It's 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 these really these like immigrant this immigrant food. It's orange um, chicken you know, and tikka masala. Right? Um, I mean, she has a really good episode about like Chinese food and chop suey and what that means to you know like a, from a very specific Chinese American lens, which I'm excited to talk about next week. But it's essentially really diving into American politics, American culture through the lens of food, and I really like how she's focusing on the. The creators of the you know the the people that the food comes from themselves as opposed to like uh 
you know, as much as I enjoyed him on like Top Chef, like a Rick Bayless, you know, like oh, cooking boy. Mexican food or like, right. I don't even know who the guy from Husk is. But like, why? Why are we We have to, like really dissecting like why the systems it's- we exist elevate the guy who does the Husk Empire and why he can have four restaurants that serve southern food. And there's just like no mention about the history of how that food came to be, which is spoiler alert was through the enslavement of black people. Yeah. And I think, I mean, seeing him on a mind of a chef, I think he recognizes that. Like he did, he did a whole entire episode on Senegal, but, and we, we see this a lot in just like the appropriation of ethnic foods in general. Like why does, um, what's his face? Andy, I always say Andy Richter, but he's, Andy oh, I see. Rickers, I know who right? Puck Puck guy, right? Yeah. Puck Puck. Like, well, Puck- it, I do have to, say that there might be some differences between him and Rick Bayless. Like, I think when we're talking about appropriation versus like honoring, because I think Andy Ricker, you're right. Why is he the one making Thai food the big deal Mm. versus a Thai chef? Oh, yeah. It's less an indictment on the chefs themselves as individuals and more why they are the ones who become the face of. But but I do. Yeah. And I do have to say, though, he constantly honors and tries to hearken back and tell how he learned these things and and you know uh from thailand and things like that and whereas i think a lot of people with when it came to the early days of rick bayless i don't know about now it was like oh my god this is an amazing mexican cuisine how did you think of it and it was kind of like he didn't think of it so i feel like um, it's yeah it's definitely how also you address it right like some of these chefs who specialize in ethnic cuisines and like i hesitate saying ethnic because it's like it's yeah like, it's mar- not ethnic, like yeah it's, just it's food. <laughs> yeah these like cuisines outside of their culture i guess even then that's a loaded term um some a lot of times they don't react well when you call them out on it yeah not basically a non-european sort of <laughs> cuisine is uh yeah. seen as ethnic and yeah no it's correct but it's and i feel like that goes with almost anything when we call out people yeah. who are in a position of privilege because they had never heard criticism they've always been lauded and i i definitely it's that well fragility that, <laughs> that we, we, huh. we we've heard about and we've been seeing a lot of yeah lately so. and the privilege Guys, right like we're, we're giving away the entirety of the next episode <laughs> right, right. We'll, we'll we need to about. stop yeah All but right. um and then also, just really quickly, uh, I highly endorse, again, if you haven't found the time to read or if you're really like trying to buy the books from a Black-owned bookshop and they're back-ordered um, for now, yes. uh, 1619 Project, which I hope, hopefully, you've heard of already, is a award-winning podcast from the Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist, Nicole Hannah-Jones. And is basically, it's a very short podcast. I think it's like five episodes uh, from New York Times Magazine that basically looks at the history of America beginning and through the lens of the enslavement of Black people. Um, specifically, episode three is about popular music. And it is fascinating because... It's, I mean, we all know that like all of our favorite music genres are thanks to black people, black musicians, or hopefully you should know that. <laughs> but this, this really interesting dissection of how America was so desperate to create its own culture and like its own pop culture and the, the, in, the automatic way, the like the, the default when they had this choice to create their own like identity was let's be super racist. And I'm like, God damn it. 
So like everything, yeah, our like inherent pop culture, like our our American identity pop culture is like racist. And I'm just like, God damn it. Like, of course you would. And it delves into minstrel shows and blackface oh, yeah. and why yeah. that was a whole thing. And I'm like, damn. I'm, so I think that's especially relevant for what we talk about. Yeah. Mm. It's not the most comfortable podcast to listen to because of all the hard truth, but that's the reason why you should listen to it because of the hard truth. Um, I love how she, t- it's not dry at all. It's extremely yeah. informative and educational, but um, she does such an amazing job of tying it through like this personal storytelling lens that I, I love in podcasts. Um, so it's not like a flat reporting thing. Um, so would really recommend it. And it's, I mean, it's free. It's, it's, yeah. it's informative. It's, it's a, uh, it's entertaining. I learned a lot and go listen to it now. Uh, Han, what's popping? <laughs> um, so on the contrary, I think we were saying that uh, we're probably going to be living past a certain date. But if you're watching Dark on Netflix, you know that the world ends on June 27th, um, which also happens to be the premiere date for season three. Wait, wait, what's this um, now? Okay. So Dark is a German language TV show that is on Netflix. Um Two seasons are out. The third season is going to start on June 27th, which is also the date that is very particular in the show when an apocalypse happens. Now then, um, it is a bonkers, bonkers show. I don't want to give away too much, but I will tell you enough, hopefully, so you understand a little bit of what's going on. Um, When you first watch, well, first of all, you need to watch it with subtitles. So that's it. Um, Mm. And then, (laughs) uh, but it takes place in a little town, German town called Winden. And at, and they don't give you so many clues that you know what's going on at first. At first, you're just watching these episodes and you're like, everyone's a little bit depressing. I can't keep these German people, tell them apart. And you're confused because there's also families. So there's like, is this the father of this kid? And why is someone having an affair with this other one? And it, uh, it's, it's, it's all very, very confusing at first. But then you're kind of like caught in just how weirdly, I don't even want to call it melodramatic, but it's like very engrossing because there's also a mystery going on. There's a kid who goes missing in the town. and um, And the more and more they look into it, the weirder it becomes. So uh, slight spoiler, but it's two seasons out. So there is time travel involved. Um, So, and that creates a whole bunch of weird, crazy shit that includes people possibly being, having someone that they're uh, as a surprise ancestor, let's say, because of time loops. So is this like problem- someone going back and like doing their grandmother or something and like being I, their own I'm grandfather? Not say <laughs> wow. You exa- just like jump several levels, but you know, I'm what? just, I'm just extrapolating the clues I've been given by this description by Han. Well, I, I can't say exactly that because if I confirm that, that would be spoiling something. Oh, okay. But you are on the right track in thinking about like there are some sticky situations to come about because of these oh, time no. loops. Pun um, intended. Sticky. I don't know. Maybe it depends on if it's water based or uh, oil based. Um, <laughs> oh, don't use don't use oil based on. Doesn't that like milk condoms? But okay, sorry. Don't. you're giving. Poor sexual education advice. No, I said it depends because, you know, 
if it is poor, then uh, there are problems. And there are, but anyway, so uh, the new se- so I've been rewatching season two in order to remind myself because it's that crazy. That's what I did for season two is I rewatched season one to remind myself of everything and also make a family tree of people to keep track of. And then, so now that season three is coming up, I rewatched all of season two to remind myself of the craziness that went on. Um, something that's really very cool that I think fans, well, first of all, it looks amazing, but that fans would agree with is because this goes through time in increments of like, let's say 33 years, you can see the same character as a kid, as an adult, and then as an older, you know, senior um, person or like a teenager or whatever. And so the casting for each of these stages of the person's life is utterly fantastic. And not all of them are just like, hey, this person has a mole in the same place, although that's one of them. Um, but some of them are just like eerily like you really have to be related to the person, it looks like, to play the younger version. They've done an incredible job. Um, and also the acting is fantastic. There's like not one weak actor on there. And I, I, it's just something that I can't recommend enough because it really does get you outside of your own like head because it's so engrossing that you, you have to pay attention. It's not just because you're watching, um, uh, reading subtitles, but like the whole story is just like crazy engrossing and you, you can't half-ass, you know, watch it. So, um, highly recommend it. Uh, since this will be out in a week before, uh, after this podcast, you have time to, <laughs> I don't know, binge two seasons, <laughs> but it's going to be a hard binge. It's it's very tense. How long are the um, seasons? Well, this one is, I think, eight episodes. Okay. Uh, give or take. So, yeah, they're not super long, but it is hour long episodes. They're very dense. Um, I love the show. And everyone, like, I have a group of, like, five or six um, TV journalists who are just as diehard as I am about it <laughs> because they gave it a chance. But anyone else who who hasn't watched it, they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. So, um, yeah, I would just say give it a chance. I mean, I've definitely heard of this being thrown around as like something people are really anticipating. And like people who know me know I love a good like genre show. So it's great. Like, yeah, give it a try when you have time, because I know you're watching um some lighter fare because after last week's you were like, yeah, I watched this thing. Yeah. No. Um, so after you watch the lighter fare, then you can get into this. I've <laughs> even, I, uh, this is the one where I will go onto Reddit threads because it's so entertaining how the fans engage with it. And I've even seen some fans like, Oh, I've been learning German just so I can watch it w- <laughs> and, and like get an extra layer. And I was like, Oh, I've been using my Duolingo for Viet- Vietnamese. Maybe I should be using it for German <laughs> just so I can watch dark. Um, but yeah, it's great. Awesome. So what's popping with you, Marvin? Um, yeah. So um, after last week's um, controversy with she who shall not be named, um, I saw a tweet saying like, is it now time to all pivot over to Philip Pullman's trilogy, his dark materials, which got me thinking, Oh yeah, there was that HBO show that I haven't watched yet. So um, I ended up binging the entire eight episodes in a night sometime last week. Um, And so now there is another show where I have watched a whole season slash series without ever reading the books, which I think as someone who is the um, co-host of a book club uh, makes me a horrible person. (laughs) But... (laughs) Yeah, do you actually, bitch, do you actually read? I do read. I've read so many books. 
It's just sometimes I'd want to watch it. This is an unpopular opinion, but I didn't love these books. I read the first two in the series and I just couldn't finish the trilogy. So I need to go back. Maybe I was in the wrong place for it. But yeah, I usually am down for the kids fantasy. So I don't know. What yeah. Talking. So this is the latest version. There was a um, a movie version they tried like 10 years ago that failed spectacularly starring Daniel Craig and Nicole Kidman. This one stars um, James McAvoy and Ruth Wilson and also Daphne Keene, who um, everyone might remember played um, Laura Kinney of X-23 in Logan and also co-starring Lima and Miranda. And it's, um, I was kind of actually ended up a little lukewarm about it. I think it's got been built up as like something that so many people love that I think I had pretty high expectations going in. And I don't know yeah. if it's the adaptation that let me down or the source material. As someone who hasn't read the book, I don't know. Yeah, that's hard to say because here's the thing. Like I know all the fans of the books were very excited for it. Yet I didn't hear them raving necessarily, but it, it didn't have as big of a presence as I thought it would. So um, I guess I need to go check it back because I uh, I will be going through some Emmy pools this season. So I need mm. to catch up on the shows I haven't watched. But Yeah, I mean, the basic uh, pitch is it's an alternate version of our own world where um, – like, I guess humans have, like, a physical manifestation of their souls in the form of, like, an animal companion that changes shapes until you hit puberty. And then it solidifies into a form that is, I guess, like, representative of your your soul, right? And this world, it takes place in an alternate universe version of the UK. Um, and the world is run by a theological authoritarian government. And... The story follows Daphne Keene's character, Lyra, who is set up as, I guess, the chosen one um, archetype, who's on a journey to um, find her father um, and escape from um, her mother, who works for the theocracy, and is revealed to be in charge of a um, government conspiracy to um, study the nature of this thing they call dust, which I guess is an allegory for, like, sin because it's something that adults have that children don't and so she takes this journey with a um, community of I guess both people who live on the fringes of this theocracy and as they go on this epic journey another side plot starts forming uh, which I guess would be the central plot of the series which is around like this world is adjacent to our own world so it's a story with parallel universes one of the universes being our universe so it's a very complex setup and that's not even including the fact that lyra's father played by james mcavoy is on a mission to cross into another dimension to fight uh, what can only be described as this world's god uh, so um a lot going on and while it was perfectly watchable um i just had a hard time getting completely invested in this world even though I think I enjoyed it. But the one thing that I had, I guess, a more vivid reaction of was, and it's a question I want to pose to um, the two of you, um, just especially because you're a um, Broadway person, but is Lin-Manuel Miranda a good actor? No, but he's very <laughs> good at being himself and bringing... Well, so I think there's there's actors and there's stars, and he's definitely a star because stars are just kind of built on their natural charisma. 
Right. Like and you hire Tom Cruise to be Tom Cruise, right? You don't hire him to play like an Tom Irish Cruise guy. is a pretty good actor, actually. He just I think the 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 personal or the the personal life and like the whole shift when we started, you know, get like celebrity culture and when we started learning like a lot of things like you know when the internet was taking off that kind of undid tom cruise at his very precarious seams but he's actually a very good actor he uh is very good at the roles he does he's he's an incredible runner like no one runs in the movie like tom cruise and it's true i've seen this i will watch yeah. every mission impossible movie he wants to make until he like dies i'm fine with that but there's definitely stars you know people who we like because we like them they may not be the best actors um, and I think limit, I mean, outside of talking about, you know, obviously his proliferation, prolific writing career, he's very good at writing stuff for himself and playing, you know, his own characters. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I think yeah. he's great. Um, but yeah, I don't know how <laughs> convincing he is trying to go outside a certain box, but that's I mean, fine. So in, in his, in his dark materials, he plays Lee Scoresby, who was like this, like, like this airship piloting kind of cowboy and he's supposed to be someone who's like gritty and charm. He's like a Han Solo character. And I don't know if he pulled it off because all I saw was Lin-Manuel being Lin-Manuel, which like is good, I guess, but I don't know if it's served. He is no Han Solo. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, think that's, that's part of it. Anyways. <laughs> For Harrison few people Ford are. Is, yeah. Yes. Harrison Ford is special. Like I, I, I think about, how much I would have loved Star Wars if it weren't for him at the beginning. And honestly, I can say probably not as much as like hardly as much. He really gave something to, sorry, I'm going off to a Star Wars tangent, but like <laughs> he really gave something to that very earnest sort of like property. And so if Lin-Manuel is trying to be kind of a swashbuckling kind of like charming dude, or like a rogue, I don't see that. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's um it's available on HBO Max, I guess, and all your HBO series. So, um, yeah, I'm willing to give another chance. I just I ended up kind of lukewarm on it. So, um, which I'll maybe I'll read the book again and see if I want to yeah. try it. Maybe I should read. I'll I'll listen to the audiobook. How about that? Yeah, do <laughs> I'll, meet that. You, I'll meet you halfway, book fan. Actually, that's a good idea. <laughs> I, I I like listen to audio stuff when I exercise, so that would be a good one. Yeah, and I well, haven't been exercising so. <laughs> Well, Clearly, I need to listen to audiobooks. Well, that's what's popping. Um, we're um, we'll uh, we'll be right back uh, to talk about cop shows. Stick around. Mm, but we're still here. We're going strong. It's an exciting time in Asian America. There are more movies, TV shows, books, and music reflecting us than ever. But all of these represent just a small slice of Asian American culture and experiences. So what do we do? Tell more slices. Asian Americana is a show that explores these slices of distinctly Asian American culture and history. We've talked about how Chinese Americans built California's Sacramento Delta, the art scene turns gallery institution giant robot, a play that explores the lost Cambodian pop music of the 60s and 70s, and, of course, Boba, just to name a few stories. You can find Asian Americana at asianamericana.com or on your podcast app. Hey, 
and welcome back to Good Pop, the Culture Club. Uh, this week, we're going to be talking all about cop shows, which have been um, put under some scrutiny because of the last couple of weeks and the protests against police brutality. And I feel like since we're all part of like the media world, you know, we've been repeating the mantra like representation matters like what we watch things we watch things we consume inform what we think about the world and i think over the last few weeks there has been again another reckoning of the role that like cop shows and cop media plays in our collective understanding of you know the role of police in our society and thinking about the images that we associate with that that we've seen on tv right like we just saw the cancellation of cops like arguably the first reality tv show right or one of the first reality tv shows that's been on the air for 33 years 33 years yes and was started by an asian american exec under the (laughs) tenure of an asian american executive um so we'll take that sorry guys (laughs) that's on us um, and then something about he like hired a stripper and like got fired. Like it's a whole thing. Really? Yeah. Something about like it, he was trying to make a point, but event like it came down to he hired a stripper for some work event and he got fired. Wow. Tracks. Yeah. I only knew cops as the show that came on after cartoons were over. So yeah, I, I never wanted to watch it. Like it was. Uh... <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny because I don't think we've watched. I never watched it actively either. But everyone knows the theme song. Mm. Everyone knows the convention the style right like enough that it can be parodied in things like shrek <laughs> in things like uh if, i don't know if I remember that scene but like we've all seen parodies of it so obviously we're familiar enough and it's been ingrained into the culture pop culture well enough where we have these common reference points yeah um which is which is pretty kind of i think just amazing to show the scope and the depth of which something like cops can infiltrate it's powerful to think about right because i think that was probably when we started getting desensitized to um, depictions of like use of force and police brutality things like that even though i don't think it ever went that far in that show you definitely saw a lot of like use of force in like every episode pretty much because every episode it was all about the chase right or the the shaky cam Yeah. yeah i think another show that was canceled is live pd which was a similar to the vein of cops that was on a and e network in 2016 and i actually think they did film or catch on film a a murder from the police shooting someone so that also has been canceled yeah yeah Yeah. and i think the shaky cam is yet another reason why i didn't watch it because i get motion sick but like (laughs) i mean just the whole genre is not something that i was ever interested in so yes but we still do know the tropes and like the style yeah and i really like to dig more into um how cop shows have been a part of our media diets because thinking about it there are so many cop shows like so, so many, many yeah cop shows. so that was something interesting that like i'm hoping i have a, a co-worker who's gonna like dig into that and write about it but bring up that there were was a time when there weren't that many cop shows on or at least not purely cop shows you know there were a lot of like crime fighting shows which are kind of different or the private detective which kind of a cop sort of more of like outside of the realm of you know like the regular cop stuff um, but 
and then the, then the, there's kind of like an explosion of cop shows. Part of it, especially like I think you were mentioning uh, at some point, CBS has like almost nothing but cop shows or like uh, these procedurals. And I think that was a lot had to do with like the coming of Les Moonves at CBS, like in 2003. Mm. So um, I feel like that's like everything that's on right now. They probably have some data points saying old people love cop shows, right? Yes. Yeah. So I do have some insight on this because again, I work in entertain, you know, entertainment adjacent. Yes. Cop shows procedurals specifically mm-hmm. we're talking about procedurals so procedurals just to kind of define it is a show in which it's formulaic right there's a procedure so you introduce you know you get the murder victim in the in the teaser and then you cut to you know the you introduce the first suspect and then the second suspect like it's all very formulaic it's a formula or a format that is inherently easy to reproduce across different uh, channels, different cultures, right? Um, a cop show in the United States with minor tweaks would probably play in a, as a cop show in France if you just translate kind of the, the police system. Right. It's also incredibly easy to syndicate. Um, so syndication is when things go, you know, get played on another channel. Typically, that used to be 100 episodes. 100 episodes was the sweet spot to get to syndication. And that is where you make your money as a TV show. Because most shows are produced in deficit to the studio until they reach syndication. That was the old model mm. of like regular TV broadcasts. So what is a show that's going to get you to 100 episodes with the least amount of, uh, you know, like, kind of resources put in and that has the best chance of spinoff and carryover. And again, procedurals, a lot of these traditional procedurals are standalone episodes, right? You can drop in at any point in the 14 seasons and you don't have to know what happened before or what happened after to get the gist of the episode. And I, I think that's the economic kind of reasoning behind the proliferation of cop shows and procedural cop shows. I mean, there was also medical procedurals, but you know, there's something inherently sexy about crime or well, salacious, I should I mean, say. All these cops are hot, right? And I feel like, in general, I think Law and Order kind of did this, like pioneered this, right? Where mm-hmm. the actual cops and lawyers and people on the team are plug and play, right? You can have anyone yes. in those teams and no other show has like completely switched out cast like a law and order i mean law and order or we're thinking about the big franchises, like the big broadcast franchises right so we have law and order which is dick wolf and has spun off how many law and order like shows spun out there and then is collapsed again i think the, o- is it only back well, to- the only one that exists now is not even the original law and order it's, it's svu, SVU. Yeah. svu but from that we're getting <clears throat> literally a new series this year this season based off Christopher Maloney's character from SVU with Stabler. Exactly. So this is something that can go on forever. Like NCIS, right? That is another long lasting. Which one? So many NCIS. Exactly. There's lost, there's Vegas or there's LA, there's new Orleans. There's a New York. I think there was, Uh, there's CSI is in a way it's not exactly cops, but definitely, shows the system as much more scientific and exact and 
um, like less room for error or judgment than I think there is in the real world because again everything has to be interpolated and like forensics doesn't work like that right <laughs> forensics is not just like end all be all here are the facts like we have to recognize like facts are still being interpreted or evidence is still being interpreted and there's still a lot of room for injustice error racism to get in there as well um, and I think just collectively those shows like personally like I grew up as a latchkey kid I think you know a lot of Asian kids are latchkey kids because our parents are working I watch so much TV and the amount of I, my earliest TV memories are things like CSI Las Vegas with Grissom and Law and Order SVU which like I don't know if kids should be watching Law and <laughs> Order SVU it's pretty dark it gets pretty bleak um but I think that definitely affects how we see cops as heroes and that we give them as as these heroic characters in these shows, we give them a lot of leeway to get whatever to do, whatever is necessary. Right. Quote unquote necessary to right. um, to get the job done, to put these bad guys away. But we're not seeing like the defense attorney's side. We're not seeing the suspect's side. And we're not seeing even things like, like, no, there should be like a little pop up of every time someone in these shows violates the <laughs> constitutional right. Like, you know how like E used to have, VH1 or E used to have pop up video. Like, I would, I think if anytime there's a syndication now, a syndication deal with any of these cop shows, there should be like a little like, hey, actually, this is in violation or hey, X, Y, Z, like, well, yeah, I mean, this is intimidation. Well, I mean, I think that's the conversation, right? Like these cop shows portray the police as a force of good against the like the forces of evil or the, the bad guys right? the good guys versus the bad guys. And something you find even in the cop shows is sometimes they find that the government itself, like the authority, is infringing on their ability to put away the bad guys, right? It's not uncommon to see like a ends justify the means um, storyline where a cop bends the rules um, and like infringes on someone's civil rights in order to get the information they need to find the bad guy. Like even SVU, like Elliot Stabler, um, Christopher Maloney's character is known to be an angry guy, known to like bust some heads to get what he wants. Um, and unless it's a you know prestige television or cable show, there's not a lot of gray area in these network cop shows. Even if you do get a storyline that's about a crooked cop, it's always like the individual and not the system that's being indicted. Yeah, I you know, it's interesting because when we started to do this episode, I looked back at all of my TV viewing and I realized I actually don't watch a lot of cop shows, never have. Um, I do. I don't mind forensic shows, but I noticed I never liked the cops on them. I was always into like just the scientists. But there is a big exception, and this is kind of falls in what you're talking about when it comes to uh, the the cops who aren't 100% good, but, you know, they kind of make the exception for them because, you know, they're eventually doing good. So that's Dexter, uh, <laughs> which is the Dexter's epitome. not a cop, though. <laughs> Uh, actually, he is. He's a blood spatter expert. Well, his and his 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 sister is a cop, and he's a blood spatter expert who helps the cops. Um, so he's supposedly on the side of good, but he is also a serial killer. And so it's one of those where you're like supposed to have <laughs> weird sympathy for him, and he is a charming. I mean, like I love that show at the beginning. He's charming. The, the opening sequence is one of the best ever, and. 
you like it's it kind of messes with your head um but that was one of the and i his sister uh played by i think it was jennifer carpenter is one of my favorite characters for women like hands down on tv and she's like a foul mouth cop and it's but she's a cop and um and definitely she has this sort of code of conduct that we're supposed to expect cops to have and so, yeah, and, and there were plenty of dirty cops on the show. That was, this was a show that lived in the morally gray, like all, well, I mean, clearly, if a serial killer is like your hero, anti-hero. I but. mean, I don't know, a serial killer cop might be like a truer representation of yeah. cops as we're yeah. seeing. He, he was just more artistic about it, you know? Um, <laughs> so it, it, it was one of those where I was like, I really liked it because everyone was not great on that show. And that's what I really like. Of course, I also, I remembered this, this show also happened, which was called martial law that has Sammo Hung and Kelly Hu on it. And that was not a great show, but I was very happy to see him in the lead because he could do martial arts, but he was not the typical, you know, um, body. Yeah. I remember watching that that show. (laughs) I don't remember anything about the show besides the fact that Sammo Hung was in it and he was, um, yeah. <laughs> I think he I think he signed like a headshot for me once. I don't even know why I, did I visit him on set? I can't even remember. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was it was it was, did I, maybe I was an extra. I can't remember now. It's so long ago. But anyway, yeah. yeah. So those are the few that like I I have to agree. Maybe that's why I don't like cop shows because it's too usually too black and white for me. Um and and I kind of well, we'll get into our personal feelings about cops. At some point, but there's there might be a reason why I don't really, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, every generation there's, I mean, it's such an u- ubiquitous genre, right? And I feel like some of the most famous shows are cop shows. Even if we haven't watched them, we've all heard of things like Hawaii Five O. Mm-hmm. You know, that was rebooted both versions. Uh, Miami Vice was a cop show. Mm-hmm. Uh, Walker Texas Ranger was a cop show, and that is probably one of the most like egregious versions of like totally cop what like copaganda like washing because mm-hmm. i mean knowing the if you know the true history of the texas rangers they were like literally so so racist towards black people and you know mexican immigrants and mexican even just like mexican people who are living in mexico like just doing border patrols like killing and you know destroying their homes like and and yeah, all I can think of, you know, the first image when you think Walker, te- like a Texas Ranger, is like you know that gun-toting, you know, like like that that heroic figure, like on top of a horse or something, like in a cowboy hat. Um, even if you've never watched it, right? Like it's yeah. just so ingrained. Yeah, I, mean, I think I actually watched a lot more cop movies than cop shows. I have to say, like, uh, so. It, it, it's interesting what is in your home is our, our TV shows. And those probably have the biggest influence on what we think of and, and that shape our our thoughts about cops. I mean, there was an era where every single movie was a buddy cop. Movie, oh, yeah. Right? Like yeah. every single John Van Damme movie where he either partners with Dennis Rodman or in one movie partners with himself. Um, well, yeah, Beverly Hills Cop was like one of my favorites back in the day, and he, Eddie Murphy was goofy, and but also Die Hard, John McClane. Yeah, He's, no, we gotta if we're abolishing all police, man, we yeah. gotta you know buy John McClane, <laughs> yeah, buy Detective Pikachu, buy <laughs> Officer Jenny from Pokemon. Like, well, sorry, this is why Paw Patrol. Sorry. What about like? 
private investigators like noir detective well fiction. see that's those why cops? i always well, it, some of them are, some of them are ex-cops, some of them are just, they just research very well. So private investigators don't have to have cop, you know, like, like a past like that, but yeah. it's, uh, but I think yeah. we're more thinking about like shows that are set with cops within the system of the law right. enforcement. Private eyes, the whole point of noir is that they're not, yeah. um, not to say there's not a lot of really, I mean, noir itself is a really interesting reflection of racial Mm -hmm. tension and racial uh, like like anxiety from people at that time so that's a whole nother conversation but i mean um, noir fiction i learned more about government corruption through noir fiction than any other yeah i think it's kind of set up to be that they're often in conflicts or in competition with cops and that's why the that relationship is kind of fraught um yeah and look some of my favorite like procedurals are the the british or australian shows where a woman is a private investigator um and they have relationships sometimes with hot and steamy ones with uh, law enforcement so it's <laughs> it's it's kind of a middle uh, that middle area that that's why i kind of like them i mean that was that's like the the tbs uh, or tnt is T- tnt or tbs the one with all the procedurals where you have the eccentric smart TN- person partnered TNT. with the cop right yeah, it was. Yeah, or, or there's always like smart USA. Yeah. That's the or one. smart That's people psych. who are not cops, but can still solve crimes. Like like yeah. Murder She Wrote is is fine. Jessica Fletcher is just like an author who writes mystery novels, and she's very good at solving crimes. So here's my question to you that I thought about while writing up my notes: Are superheroes cops? No, they're they're vigilantes. Um, they could be working with cops. But you notice a lot of times cops don't like these superheroes because they are taking the law into their own hands. Well, that's Spider-Man. But then if you look at like no, Superman just, in like yeah. or even like but early Batman, they always leave on, the criminals to be arrested by the cops. They're like, the cops but he's not actually this. my a work cop, here is done. That's the thing. It's <laughs> like um, and I think certain cops still find them uh, or resent them let's say, because they don't have to work within yeah. the system. Now, a lot of yeah. cops don't work within the system in real life. So that's an interesting sort of <laughs> point. Yeah, I feel like I feel like superheroes are always framed as like the individual. They're not yeah. working. They're not like in a, like a whole system. It, even Batman has had sort of a weird relationship with cops because like at first they're like, who is this, whore? you know, like dark, Avenger like night guy roaming around and doing his own thing and so he's had bad relationships with cops but then you know like you know commissioner gordon like but then there's the bat signal so at some point sometimes they're they're working with the cops so it it totally depends like it's not even just individual but sometimes it depends on like the season it's like what era right because like yeah adam west batman was definitely a cop right well he wasn't a cop but he was working with them they didn't he didn't have to abide by their rules and i think that's why i i keep defining it differently i mean thinking about it i guess um the captain america like trilogy was definitely asking these questions right like what of the law enforcement organization you work for were actually nazis and what happens when when they try to um make you sign a paper bringing you into their official organization right (laughs) 
Sorry. I was like, I don't like Captain America. And I know that's an unpopular opinion. <gasps> I love Captain America. He's, He's my, that's my favorite trilogy in the Marvel. It's a series, good series. So. I don't mind him as a character and the whatever, but the, the ad- adulation for him and America's ass is like, so over it. <laughs> but I have no problem with that. <laughs> I guess, um, um, things are beginning to change, you know. We're, people are thinking a lot more about representation and the stories, the, the power of media to affect people's perceptions on the world and themselves. Um, so, I guess going forward, like, do you see, like, obviously now there's a backlash on like um, cop shows that valorize police, um, you know, without any critical eye, right? And I guess my question to you two um, is, how do you see? cop shows um, being done in the future and I guess should we even have them as is well I mean it's hard to say oh go, sorry yeah, go, no, go ahead I, I think I'm we're probably saying similar things but I mean first of all I think it would depend on like what's going on in the world because if we are if as many groups are you know what wanting and there's an abolishment of the police if they're defunded, if they are seriously under, uh, like utilized less and other people are more, then that would depend on what, how, what the police look like in the future. However, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind maybe having something where everything is interrogating, like what it's inside, like what's going on inside of a precinct right now. Um, the, I'm sure there are internal battles and I'm sure there are people who, you know how like everyone's talking about, Oh, the few bad apples. And, you know, most likely it's actually only a few good apples, um, frankly, uh, who are bowing to the pressures of a very corrupt system that's broken. So, I mean, it would be interesting to see like the internal struggles maybe, or we could focus on all the other ways. Like let's say everything gets defunded all the all the networking ways that everyone else is being pulled in to take care of these these you know calls that they usually get and see how on a bigger scale like a community works better than just having to rely on cops because i think that's the biggest problem right now is when people hear things like defund the police and stuff like that their 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 first question is well how does anything get solved you know because they cannot conceive of a world without the police answering every single call. And so I think that's where TV comes in is to show how it can be handled <laughs> um, in different ways. But yeah, it, it, so I think it's interesting to for TV to lead just as if they're leading with everything else with representation of like other portrayals of ways people who are taking care of things, you know, um, what that would be. I mean, there could be some fantasy casting here. I, I think people were joking about like social workers. I'm like, actually social workers deal with a lot of shit. So <laughs> yeah. What is your um, fantasy procedural pick? If you were to create a procedural about anything that's not about police. 501 C procedural. Please explain. I mean, I, I talk about this all the time. My joke is that I'm going to write a show one day. I, I don't write, so this is really a joke. But about the world of um, nonprofit, the nonprofit is that world. more of a workplace show than a. <laughs> we can make it into a procedural. Though. It's fine. You could do anything. I mean, essentially, Brooklyn Nine Nine, uh, which was a show I very much loved and still love, but cannot watch right now because of 
this very conversation we're having was a mix of workplace procedure was a workplace procedural right but through a comedy lens um and um yeah i mean people are so creative now you can really mix anything as long as you do it right um so uh, it would have to depend on what it was but but you know there's shows like 911 and Grey's Anatomy mm-hmm. and Good Doctor you know there there are other forms of procedural that already exist and that cover different spots it's it's actually still a very translatable easily adapted format so i think i think i think the missing piece that i think we're not really articulating clearly is the violence it's it's violence is something that is very entertaining to people as much as we don't want to admit it right like it's there's a reason why true crime is such a hot genre in all formats um violence is the socially acceptable version like the the like the socially acceptable taboo that everyone can engage in um as opposed to sex right sex is very taboo and there's a lot like you wouldn't watch like a sex drama with your parents but you'll watch like ncis with your parents um so i think that's a very interesting distinction and why as a society we are so immune to seeing violence for entertainment um and not really dissecting that even more uh, as opposed to other things and i do think that you know you there are cop you can have a cop show but i just think that we've been so weighted since the inception since the creation of television and i would even say radio dramas which is the precursor to television that for like the the hero cop and copaganda that to balance that out i don't know how long that's going to take or what that's going to take and i i think that is important right we we need the balance um but right now the balance requires that we have a lot more shows kind of tackling the police brutality and police corruption than for hero cops but then the pessimist yeah. in me looking at the economics of it is like the cop show is not going to go anywhere unless we as consumers say that's not okay but you know as we know there's we can sit here and talk about you know our feelings about this as like (laughs) west coast liberal elites college educated people but there's a segment of the country i mean i'm just gonna read you the nielsen ratings from april so for tv the the number one show uh, one to ten the number the top shows were young sheldon 60 minutes blue bloods ncis survivor the mass singer magnum pi fbi most wanted fbi encore 911 so that's at least half of them are cop shows (laughs) I mean, at least Magnum P.I. stars a person of color, I guess. Yeah, and I guess P.I. stands for private investigator. Yeah. So I guess, you so know, going more. Cop, but yeah, still. Yeah, but, but there's there's like the nice, there's the P.I. who's like a little more sunny and like mm-hmm. was an ex-cop versus like the something like a, you know, Veronica Mars that I was showing kind of how corrupt and inefficient the current cop system was, even though her dad was the one good apple that was forced out. Right, and they really tackle that a little bit more yeah. in depth. So things about how you do it and who's getting to write these shows, I do think we definitely need more stuff centering the people who have been the victims of police violence and police brutality and over-policing because yeah. as people who do not experience that, that's sweet. We just don't experience that living in the suburbs or you know, living being middle-class Asian people. I mean, that's a good point, right? Like, as much as people love a good good guy, bad guy, like 
um, cop narrative. People also love a good rebellion, like resistance narrative. Like people love That's mine. Like, yep. <laughs> <laughs> like shows where you have like the plucky rebels going against a oppressive authoritative system. It's kind of like a cognitive dissonance that people can't translate those ideas into our current world. But like, is the solution more shows like about like we were talking about, you know, movies um, that center around protest and resistance. There's a lot of movies by black filmmakers about uh, the civil rights movement, about black people resisting in the films. But you don't really see that in TV. Well, no, because it's if you're framing the cop as the hero, then the person they're arresting is automatically the bad guy. And you're inclined not to believe them. Yeah, right? so, it, it's really how you frame the narratives. So if maybe if you were doing your fantasy cast uh, like stories, there would be more protest and resistance stuff, you know, um, bucking the system. Uh, I've always enjoyed a good, you know, challenging authority type of movie and TV shows. Uh, how that would translate into a procedural, I, I would have to see. They would have to set up, I think, something that's clearly corrupt. I think one safe way to do that that has been happening for, you know, centuries is setting it in an alternate world, sci-fi through fantasy and setting up something corrupt. So that way people can, you know, buck the system in a sort of a safe way that's not obviously pointing to what's happening in the world, but really it is. Um, And yeah. But maybe it's time to not like be so subtle about it. Not code it. Yeah. But you know, it's, it's like you can, you can do that now, I think. Um, And it depends though, the net, the, you know, like the big networks, are going to shy away from that because, you know, their advertisers are in the heartland. And so it's going to be like, okay, is it up to cable? But then are people going to watch them as much on cable? So that's where it's like the premium cable needs to really, um, and people like Netflix needs to um, kind of be the brave ones and like stick their neck out and stuff like that to, to be able to like put that sort of more creative um, and dissonant. Sort of like. I still think my, I think right now, as things stand, I still think my pop up idea is like the easiest way to, you, maybe run, you know, at least change it. Because think about it, right? Like, we've, there's like other conversations going around with all these things coming out of the archive on streaming platforms, like Gone with the Wind or the Looney Tunes or Song of the South. And, you know, just wiping it from existence doesn't really no, do anything. Of course not. Um, but to put it in a context and explain what's happening. So well, I would love to see that for existing properties. Well, the perfect platform for that. I do like pop-up video, by the way. That's awesome. But um, X-Ray on Amazon works pretty well. Um, you get the choice, though, whether or not you want to read whatever they have content-wise there. But X-Ray is fantastic because you're like, who is this actor? And then you can find out in that scene. Um, yeah. Although, when you're dealing with um, stories that have to do with time travel or some twist, I've had stories Spoil spoiled for yes. me by pausing it and seeing yes. the actors yes. and who they play. They're, they're, oh, okay, I so think, don't do that. Well, I think there's, <laughs> there hasn't been enough, let's say, scrutiny on X-Ray as far as content. And so there hasn't been enough like people pushing back. But if there, it is used mm. deliberately as, de- as a device to offer, you know, like context to these problematic things, I think there would be, have to have some sort of scrutiny to make sure it's, you know, and then maybe yeah. it would extend to like things like spoilers for time yeah. travel. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I just truly want like people to understand how deep and how 
Like it's so deep. We're we're sw- we're so deep and swimming in it. We don't even recognize yeah. this. So I I use this thought experiment for some for some pe- friends I've talked to. But like, okay, like I'm gonna assume none of us have ever been arrested. Correct? I have. Oh, Han, that's what. <laughs> Marvin, have you been arrested? Almost once. What? Okay, but no, you've never been taken to like the 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 office, or you've never put in a cell. None, none of that, right? It was on campus, so I got taken to the um, the dean's office. Okay, but that's so that's that's a little bit different. <laughs> but like you haven't, like we have not. I personally have never had experience with Just like anyone that, in that in depth in a carcel, you know, the carcel system. <laughs> so then I'm just like, how do I even know? any of the shit that happens like do you everyone can say the miranda rights right or at least the first line yeah enough mm-hmm. of it tv shows have shown that yeah right movies, exactly yeah. it's tv shows like how the fuck does everyone even know what the miranda rights are like that's not necessarily something they, I, I didn't learn that from school and yet it's i every can single recite, episode of law and order exactly so it's like if you watch one episode a few episodes of law and order or you know any cop show you'll know the miranda rights and like and that's where you're getting your information from and i was like and then and then we have this, we have these people, we have, we have black people in this country telling us, hey, the police are brutalizing us. They're essentially like committing terrorist acts on us. They're over-policing us. They're killing us. And we're still not listening. Or there's, there's still people who are like, wait, no, I don't believe you. Or like they have a hard time, whether consciously or not they're just they're saying we don't believe you even though they're very explicitly saying these things well it's just like people who don't believe that masks work for um uh, coronavirus <laughs> yeah. because they haven't experienced it themselves or know someone who's been exactly yeah. exactly and i think i think that is the greatest harm these cop shows have done yeah really yeah. so it has made us not believe people who have lived it have their yeah. own experience. I mean, they, they have way more experience watching cop shows than personally. And I totally agree. And th- that's why they were like, cops are our friends. How, how much has that been like driven into our heads since childhood that cops are your friends. You go to a cop if you're in trouble. And so, and, and it's something that I've like, I've tried to explain to friends. I'm like, for a lot of people, you don't call the cops because they're going to get you in trouble and make you feel unsafe and you, and like and threaten your lives versus helping you. And so I was like, so who do you call then? And and it's kind of one of those things that we're like, I don't know, like, is that true? And I'm like, yes, for so many people, that's true. Um, yeah, uh, just <laughs> it's gotten way too. It's depressing. <laughs> oh. Yeah, so cop shows, huh? Gray, we. <laughs> uh, I, I I am curious because, like, a few weeks ago, we we were trying to consider what shows would be look like going forward with with coronavirus. You know, production and what the narratives were, stuff like that. And now with this extra wrinkle, it does feel like there's also a reckoning for Hollywood in a bigger way for representation in, in portrayals and law enforcement, but also of who you see on screen, which is something that like I was trying to, I've been, you know, explaining to people over and over again. It's not just like, I want to see an Asian face or a black face on my screen. It's because the white people need to see these faces and see them 
as people who have dementia. And so that way you don't keep otherizing them and wanting to kill them or not care if they get killed. So it's interesting, though, right? Because I feel like cop shows, maybe it's because there are so many of them on the air. A lot of the casts are kind of multicultural. Yeah. Like most cop. <laughs> yeah. Most ensemble teams have at least one Asian person, one black person, one Hispanic person. Although the blonde white dude is always the lead yeah. detective, the lead of the team, mm-hmm. right? Still, or the main character. Yeah. But supporting. like, I mean, cop shows are what's giving us Daniel Henney content right now, right? Like, hey, you know what? Uh, it's fine that that's what, where he's getting his work, but hey, what about the <laughs> next one? He'd be the lead. So, you know, thanks for the, yeah. the supporting role. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we're only three people that comment on media. <laughs> um, I but, mean, to this day, there has not been a primetime broadcast drama featuring, I mean, starring like number one on the Kashi, an Asian American. Uh, Sammo Hung. Was that? Sammo Hung was the lead. And uh, was he? He's the lead. Martial Law. His last name is Law. So he is the lead of the show. Um, I would. CW isn't the broadcast, but Nikita. Um, oh, female. No, there's oh, been women. There's okay, been women. so yeah, Samo Hung is like really the only one, I believe. Um, and that was brief, two seasons. But he was like, he was the lead, like Jackie Chan was the lead in Rush Hour. Well, like, he also felt weird about his English language skills. So the the mm. the, the writing often wrote around his lines. Um, but he was absolutely the lead. The show was named after oh, him. Oh, yeah, I take that back. Wow, how has not this not crossed my desk? My mind's desk. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, then you were too young for he it. He was also oh, I definitely. Mean, he he was pals with Jackie Chan, so that's why I was very excited when you know he was going to get a show, and it it did make I it mean, to air. So two seasons. They were both part of um, Bruce Lee's stunt team. I learned yeah. that from B Water. Yeah, B Water. Yeah, it's time. So abolish the police and abolish uh, police shows. Yeah, I'm. I, <laughs> Rebuild from. I scratch. am so down Rebuild with that and. A valorize everyone else. How about? Well put. Well, well put. On that note, that'll do it for our discussion on cop shows. Thanks again to Jess and Han for joining me. Um, before we go, Jess, Han, if people want to find out more of your thoughts, where can they go? Uh, they can go on Twitter. I'm at Jess Jew Tweets. And I'm at Hanonymous, H-A-N-H-O-N-Y-M-O-U-S. And you can follow me at Marvin Yue. You can follow the show at Good Pop Club and find and subscribe to us at goodpop.club. You can subscribe to us on all your favorite podcatchers. That'll do it for this week's episode. Next week, we're going to be talking all about Padma Lakshmi's new show, Taste the Nation. Uh, So if you want to follow along, um, it's available on Hulu now. So yeah, watch along and um, join us in our conversation next week. Eat something while you watch. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Hi, I'm Marvin. And I'm Rira. We're the host of Books and Boba, a book club and podcast dedicated to books by Asian and Asian American authors. Every month we pick a book by an Asian author to read and discuss on the show. We read a wide variety of genres from contemporary to historical fiction, fantasy to memoirs, and crime thrillers to romance. Some of our past book club picks are Pachinko by Min Jin Lee, Sorcerer to the Crown by Zen Cho, and Devotion of Suspect X by Keigo Higashino. We also go over what's new in the Asian American literary world and chat with some talented Asian authors about their work. So whether you want to start reading for fun again or diversify your TBR list, 
we got your Asian literature cravings covered. For more info, check out our website at booksandboba.com. You can listen to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and wherever you find your podcasts. Part of the Potluck Podcast Collective. 